Welcome to Southwinds Online and to our brand new study of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians. We call this letter Philippians because Paul wrote it to the community of Christ followers or the church who lived in the city of Philippi. And we're calling our exploration of Philippians joyful because this little book is all about how to live a life full of joy. Philippians teaches us that God wants the lives of Christ followers to be filled with joy. Let me give you some facts about Philippians. It's a short book, just 104 verses long, around 2,000 words. And you can sit down sometime today and about 20 minutes, just read the entire letter. And if you did that, you'd discover that Philippians is one of the most practical and profound books in the Bible. In it, we find enormous ideas about dealing with suffering in a broken world, about how to live with people who are hard to get along with, about who God truly is and about the way we relate to a world that's decided God is either non-existent or irrelevant and so much more. It's really one of the most famous and familiar books in the Bible. We find in it some of the most memorable lines in all the Bible, lines like, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion or for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or how about your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus? Or I press on toward the goal to win the prize. Many of you have memorized rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Or I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now those are very familiar words to some of you but they just might not mean what you think they mean. At its heart, Philippians is about living a joy-filled life no matter what. Paul uses the words joy or rejoice 16 times in this short book. And, And that's sort of surprising when you think about it because Paul doesn't seem to be the kind of guy who would write about joy. He was this driven, intense, goal oriented type A man who, who actually lived his life with a great deal of pain. He had this physical affliction of some kind that he called his thorn in the flesh. And, and he begged God three times to take it away, but the pain persisted. And then Paul was in almost constant trouble. In his lifetime, he was tortured eight times, we know of, by government officials. He was imprisoned multiple times, shipwrecked three times, beaten by rioting mobs twice. He was attacked by wild animals and he was slandered repeatedly. In fact, while he was writing Philippians, he was in prison, awaiting execution at the hands of Nero. He was chained to a Roman guard 24-7. And we're gonna talk more about that next week. Yet put this all together and this letter is still about being filled with joy. If we're honest, we'd have to admit that Paul's life was far more difficult than ours, even coming out of a terrible year like 2020. But that's really good news because if God can help Paul to live a joyful life, then he can help you too. You know, I was thinking this week that that Philippians may have more statements of raw spiritual power than any book in the New Testament It is so wonderful. It's filled with deep themes of indestructible joy and of the power of unity with others and of sacrificial servanthood. Paul writes in this book about the possibility of life beyond anxiety. I'm just telling you, this book will change your life and we're gonna get to explore it together. We see that life-changing power immediately in the opening verses. 
In Philippians 1, 1 through 11, we see Paul's unlikely gratitude and we gain insight into how we can live with joy. These verses show us that a joyful life grows from a joyful heart, which we can cultivate even in incredibly difficult circumstances. Now we're going to work our way through these verses asking how can we cultivate gratitude in difficult circumstances? And I'm gonna give you four insights. I hope you'll write them down in your message notes, which you'll find in our app. Here's the first one. Write this down. Know who you are in Christ. Gratitude starts with knowing who you are as a follower of Jesus. Here's how this letter begins. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now there's a word in these verses you may have just passed over or maybe it confused you when you heard it but we need to unpack it to understand how to cultivate gratitude. Paul calls the people in the church at Philippi saints. Did you notice that? And not just some of them, but all of them. And it was true, they were. And so are all of you who are followers of Christ. You know, one of the most sweeping and dramatic declarations of scripture is that every Christ follower is a saint, not will be or might be, but is. That is our new identity in Christ. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, you don't feel very saintly. Well, neither do I, but I am one. And if you are a Christ follower, you are too. The meaning of the word saint is those who are set apart. Because the moment you commit your life to Christ and come to him as savior and Lord, something dramatic happens to your spiritual position. The Bible says you were once dead, but now you're alive. You were far off from God, but now you've been brought near. You, you were a stranger to God, but now you are his son or daughter. You were an alien, but now you are a citizen of God's kingdom. You were lost and now you're found. No matter who you are, how you've lived or what you've done, when you come to Christ for forgiveness and enter into a relationship with God, you experience a dramatic and fundamental identity change. God declares you to be set apart, a saint. Karl Barth put it this way, saints are unholy people who nevertheless as such have been singled out, claimed and requisitioned by God for his control, for his use for himself, who is holy. So where does that leave us as saints? Well, with the goal to live into our new identities, to become functionally who we are positionally. See, when you become a Christian, God has a very clear agenda for your life and it is to make you like Jesus. It is to have you become the person he's already declared you to be. It's as if God says, you are a saint, now live like one. But that's not all. He also says, and I'll help. Think of it this way. Today, Sunday, it's the NFL Conference Championships. Whoever wins the games today will go to the Super Bowl. And, and the Kansas City Chiefs are the defending champs, favorites to make it back. What if their coach, Andy Reid, came to you and said, you're on the team. You're now officially a member of the world champions. Here's your uniform. Here's your locker. And then he says, don't worry, your place on the roster has nothing to do with your athletic abilities. I've just chosen to accept you, make you part of the team. But here's what I want you to do. 
now that you're here, I want you to let me develop you into a professional athlete. That's the offer God's making to you. And it's only as you allow God to work in your life that you find a truly joyful life. And I wanna ask, do you know who you are in Christ? You will find gratitude and you will find joy when you learn to rest in this reality. There's a second way to cultivate the gratitude that leads to a joy-filled life. You can write this down as well. Remember what God has done for you. Listen to how Paul begins the main part of the letter. We'll read verses three through six. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now we might wonder, you know, how we can really right now talk about gratitude. You know, we're still in the middle of a pandemic and and maybe telling people they should be grateful in 2021 is gonna strike some of you as insensitive and, and unrealistic because, you know, people are hurting, people are struggling. Well, you could ask Paul the same question. Remember, he was in prison. Remember, he was suffering greatly. Remember, he's literally awaiting his death and he's, he's writing a letter to a church that's also undergoing hardship. And yet the very first words that come out of his mouth after the greeting are, I thank my God. What's Paul doing? Well, he's remembering what God has done for him. Look at verse three again. I thank my God every time I remember you. You see, remembering what God has done for you cultivates gratitude. And that's exactly what's happening with the apostle Paul. He's thinking back, he's remembering how the church in Philippi began. Now you can read the story yourself. It's in Acts 16. And if you do, you'll see this story of a riot and a mob beating and then an earthquake and then a jailbreak. And, you know, Paul is remembering not only that, but he's remembering the people. He's remembering Lydia. He's remembering the jailer and his family, the little girl who is freed from demonic possession. And, and as Paul remembers, his gratitude grows. And then that gratitude produces joy. Let's keep going in the passage. Verses four and five say, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Joy. This is the first of the 16 times Paul mentions joy in this letter. And every time that that note is sounded, it's going to build into an orchestra of deep and lasting and beautiful joy. But what we're seeing here is that joy flows from gratitude. Just think about it. Grateful people are joyful people. And that kind of joy and gratitude, it's not dependent on external circumstances. In fact, you should write this down. Joy is not the absence of trials. It's the life-giving presence of God in the midst of trials. I heard someone say, that Philippians is all about defiant joy, joy that defies circumstances. So let's just be brutally honest. 2020 was a terrible year. 2021 may not get better, at least for a time, but, but for those of us who know Jesus, there's still so much to be grateful for. 
And so I want to challenge you. Don't let all the changes blind you to what is unchanging. Don't let all the losses rob you of all that you still have. Don't let the need to lament and grieve make you think there's not a need to also give thanks. It would be easy to think that grieving and and giving thanks are opposites, like you can't do both of them. But I would say that gratitude and grief are not contradictory. In fact, I would say that they're more like two sides of the same coin. We've learned this, I think, during 2020 more than ever. Loss actually helps us to be grateful for things that we used to take for granted. Think about that in our lives right now. Think about that in the life of our church. May we never take for granted again being able to gather together in person as the church and to exalt Christ together. May we never take for granted again hearing the voices of others sing as we sing. May we never take for granted being able to go and sit next to a friend who's hurting and just be with them. May we never take for granted a handshake, a a hug, just being near to the people we love. This is something I hope we learn through this time that as we lament and grieve, our our gratitude actually can grow for things that we once took for granted. You know, honestly, as your pastor, one of my fears for some of you is that whenever we finally get past all this, that you're just gonna return to the old ways of your life where you took God and all of his blessings in your life for granted. If you wanna live a joyful life, you have to give thanks. And you have to give thanks even when life is hard. And friends, there is, isn't there? There is so much to be thankful for, even in 2021. And so whatever comes your way, you know, you you really have two options. You can either take things for granted or you can give thanks. Think about it. I love 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Now, let me remind you, it doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. It says give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because we know that God is with with us in them. He's with us in those circumstances. Notice verse six, again, back in Philippians one, and this is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Paul says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In all the uncertainty of Paul's life, he was confident that what God had started, God would finish. And as he's remembering, looking back on God's faithfulness, he's cultivating gratitude and God is giving him confidence for moving forward. And I think the point he's making here is simple. Write this down. God finishes what he starts. He doesn't just start a work of grace and then leave it to you to finish through your effort. The Lord saves and then he sustains what he starts. You know, I've been your pastor now for 18 years. And maybe you know my story. I grew up in California, but eventually ended up spending over 13 years pastoring a church in the suburbs of Chicago. And and this verse reminds me of some plans that someone had in Chicago a few years ago. They wanted to build a building called the Chicago Spire and this building would be 150 stories tall. It was gonna be the tallest building in the Western Hemisphere and the plan started in 2005. They broke ground in 2007 and they dug and built a foundation, one of the biggest, strongest foundations ever built. And then of course, in 2008, the recession hit. 
And to this day, the foundation is still sitting there in the heart of Chicago. They had a great idea. They got off to a great start. It was a good work, but the builders couldn't finish what they started. God is not like that. God always finishes what he starts. And some of you especially need to hear that today because you can look back and see that God has done a great work in your life in the past. But maybe right now you look at your life and you think, I'm not sure. Can I get through this? Can I hold on? Can I endure in all of this? I want you to hear God can and God will get you through this. Why? Because God always finishes what he starts. And so this is a time where where we need to cultivate gratitude as this pandemic continues. And how do you do that? Well, what we're seeing in Philippians is you get to know who you are in Christ. And then secondly, you remember what God has done. And then third, you can write this down. You trust what God is doing in you. Now here we shift from the past to the present. I want you to look at verses seven and eight. Paul says, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I want you to notice the present tense of the verbs that Paul is using. I have you in my heart, not I had you in my heart. He says, all of you sharing God's grace with me. He doesn't say you shared. Now think about this. Paul is writing this in prison and there is literally a wall between him and the Philippian church, not to speak of the hundreds of miles of distance. So here he is in prison. He's in isolation other than the guards that are surrounding him. And he is saying to these people, I have you in my heart. And this doesn't seem to make sense. Like it's either crazy or it's beautiful. But I would say that this is one of the most striking features of Philippians. Paul is in prison and yet he rejoices repeatedly in the gift of community. And I want you to see, especially here, how this is connected to gratitude. You know, we we often, I think, think of gratitude as an individual thing, something that I need in my heart. But, But Philippians is showing us that gratitude is deeply tied to relationships. Back in verse five that we read earlier, Paul uses this beautiful phrase to describe this. He says that they they have a partnership in the gospel. And this word partnership is really rich. Paul uses it over and over again in Philippians. It gets translated in different ways sometimes, but but it simply means that they share in something in common. They're, They're bound together. But notice what binds them together, the center of their partnership is not preference or affinity or ethnicity. No, it's the gospel. This is a partnership in the gospel and a partnership in the gospel is deep. You see, there are several layers to this as we read Philippians. First, we we might note that a partnership in the gospel, it's spiritual. See, we know that they are united in Christ and we're gonna see in Philippians 2, they share a partnership in the Holy Spirit. Then in chapter three, it says that they share in the sufferings of Christ. And so the partnership in the gospel, this partnership, it's spiritual, but it's also secondly, relational. It's deeply relational. We learn from this letter that the Philippian church sends a man named Epaphroditus to Paul to help Paul out. And Paul then here is writing this letter back to them. It's incredibly 
relational, this partnership that they have. But then third, we also see this partnership is financial. They are supporting him financially. You can look at Philippians 4. I'll read you some verses from that chapter. These are verses 14 through 16. Paul writes, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. And that word share is the same word as partnership. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. So they, the church in Philippi, they were, they were supporting Paul financially on his missionary journeys. And so they, they have this gospel partnership that is deeply spiritual and yet it plays out in very practical ways. Verse 16 says, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. I want you to see how all this is connected to gratitude. Paul's thankful heart evoked thankfulness in others as they responded to his love and his affection for them. And that in turn led to more of them becoming thankful. And that in turn began to build a culture of thankfulness across the entire church family. I mean, have you ever noticed this? If someone in your family is thankful, doesn't it often rub off on the other people in your family? I mean, we know that when one person is angry or bitter, that rubs off on those around them. It works both ways, positively and negative. And right now, think about our situation. We don't like the way things are. We long for change and that's right, that's good. But don't let, don't let what you don't have keep you from gratitude and joy for what you do have. So I wanna call you. I wanna call you to give thanks for the relationships you do have. Don't let the distance keep you from growing in depth with brothers and sisters in Christ. Be deliberate about investing in friendships and about staying connected to the church, especially in this time. And you know, some of you have been doing this and you are so much better off for it. But I wanna say, if you haven't yet, it's not too late. Start today. So think about where you've been. To cultivate gratitude, we've got to know who we are in Christ. We've got to remember what God has done and we've got to trust in what God is doing. And then finally, hope in what God will do in you. Let me read for Philippians chapter one, verses nine through 11. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. It's as if Paul is saying, I want you to imagine the possibilities of what God can do in the midst of this. And, and then he expresses that through prayer. You know, I would say that prayer is the purest form of gratitude because every gift is from above, from our father who loves to give good gifts to his children. You can think about it like this. There is nothing good in your life that you cannot trace back to God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so our natural response to that is to give thanks, to express gratitude. Here, here's an example of what I'm talking about. You know, I think all of us, we miss eating out during this time. I want you to imagine this. What if someone made you this incredible meal, your favorite food, your favorite drink, and they're doing it like a, at a two Michelin star level. 
they do all the cooking, they do all the, the preparing and they, they get it to you. As you sit down at a table, there's this wonderful meal that they've put in front of you and you get to eat it, enjoy it. What if, you, what if they did all that and you just looked at them and shrugged and just dug in and started eating? You would never do that, right? I mean, you would give thanks. The Bible says it is God who ultimately feeds us. It is God who ultimately provides for our needs. So may we, Southwind's family, may we give thanks. I mean, just eating food, we have a chance several times a day to give thanks and we can pause and we can give thanks and we can recognize that all we have comes from the Lord. Maybe you could think about it like this. What if it was like up in the air, whether or not you'd be able to breathe today or tomorrow? And what if someone came to you and they had a way to actually put air in your lungs? Wouldn't you use that air in your lungs to give them thanks? God is the one who is putting the air in your lungs right now. I love that song we sing by all sons and daughters. It's called, Great Are You, Lord? And I especially love that line. You know it. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. God is the giver of life. He's the giver of every gift that we have. And so may we give thanks for everything that he has given us. Paul is showing us here that we we give thanks through prayer. Prayer is an expression of gratitude. But have you noticed it's also an instrument to cultivate more gratitude in our lives? And so I want to encourage you to follow Paul's example here, to be disciplined in prayer. Maybe you're wondering, well, what do we pray? Well, you can learn something by looking at what Paul prays for the church in Philippi. His prayer here is that their love would abound. And it just reminds us that as the people of God, we're not driven by self-preservation, but by self-giving love. And God doesn't want us to experience just enough love. He wants us to abound in love, to, to know that God is abounding in love for us so that we can be abounding in love for one another and for those in our communities. But, but then he goes on to say that love must be accompanied with knowledge and discernment. And this is such an important word. We need to be reminded in our culture, I think all the time that love is not fundamentally a feeling, that love is fundamentally about action and it's always about action based on truth. And we know that truth is ultimately found in God's word. See, the problem with many of us is we think we love only when we feel a certain way. And and some of us think it's love to feel loving feelings and say nice things to someone who's headed down a destructive path. But that's actually unloving affirming someone who's damaging their own life by disobeying God. We must love in word and deed based on God's truth. But we only can abound in this kind of love when we know God's truth revealed in his word, the Bible. And it's interesting that that Paul prays something for something that, that requires God's word to carry out. It's always that way. God's word and prayer, prayer and God's word. We need both. Uh, I think, you know, we've been in this place of the pandemic for a long time now, more than 10 months, and it seems like it will never end. Paul is reminding us here that in all the struggle and all the loss, 
we can still have hope. Why? Because we know God's promises. We know our future is guaranteed. We know he will not forsake us. We know he is working all things together for the good of those who love him. We know that he is bringing peace even now into the midst of so much confusion and chaos. And so Southwinds, I wanna remind you, I wanna remind you, we are going to get through this. We're gonna get through this together and I don't know when and I don't know how, but I do know who. I do know we can trust that God knows. Now, none of this that we've explored today or that we will continue to explore together as we work our way through Philippians, none of this is to say it will be easy. I don't know about you, but I kind of gave up on quick a long time ago. But we will get through this together. And telling you that you need to cultivate gratitude and live a joyful life should diminish the hardship we've all been experiencing. You know, as I, I said earlier, expressing gratitude and thanks doesn't keep us from grieving as well. And I've grieved deeply during this time for many reasons. So have you. We've all been grieving in one way or another. We have got to continue to take our grief to the Lord. And yet even in grieving, we can be grateful We can be grateful because what we have in Christ cannot be taken from us. We can be grateful that in trials that we've got one another. We can be grateful knowing that God is bringing beauty out of this brokenness. Paul says, I give thanks to God when I remember you and I pray for you. And as I read that this week and as I prepared to preach this message to you, it just welled up joy and gratitude in my heart for you. You know, I'm certainly not the Apostle Paul. But remember, he's writing this letter to this church of people, that this church that he planted. I've been your pastor for 18 years and, and I can't read these words without feeling similar things towards you all. You know, all of our pastors and all of our elders, we pray for you. And as we do, it fills us with gratitude and joy, especially now because this time has been a test of faith for all of us, both as individuals, also as a church. And I'm so grateful that you, the Southwinds family, have been so very faithful through this as we've walked this uncertain journey. I wanna just thank you for responding to leadership. I wanna thank you for continuing to chase community in your life groups. I wanna thank you for giving faithfully so that we as the church can be generous to people in our church family with needs as as well as to people in our city. I I wanna thank you for all your prayers throughout all this time. I'm just overwhelmed with gratitude and joy. This is going to be a great journey, a great exploration through this letter. Philippians is going to show us that we really can live a joyful life, but we have to work at it. We have to cultivate gratitude. And as we're going to see, cultivate joy. I want to close by giving you a a practical challenge and a gospel declaration that I believe will cultivate deeper gratitude and deeper joy in our lives. Here's the practical challenge. I want you to take some time this week and just sit down with a piece of paper, maybe with your journal and just write down the things you're grateful for. And and I would suggest you follow the pattern Paul gives here where he starts with who he is in Christ. And and then from that, he's looking back into the past. He's, He's giving thanks in the present and he's looking forward into the future. Take a few minutes 
and write down all the things you're grateful for, past, present, and future. And if you do, I am confident it will grow your gratitude. Now, to help you do this, I want to challenge you to memorize one verse from our study today. It's verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Throughout this series, in the weeks ahead, to cultivate and build and grow our joy, I'm going to be challenging you to memorize some of these wonderful, beautiful verses we will explore in Philippians. And if you take up the challenge, I'm just telling you, it will fill you with joy. So give it a shot. And then there's one more step with this challenge. After you write these things down, be intentional about telling people in your life that you are grateful for them. Express thankfulness for people to those people. Call people, send them text messages or emails, set up Zoom calls, whatever it is. Just let people know you're grateful for them. Don't let another day go by without telling the people in your life you're thankful for them. So that's a practical challenge. But I want to end this time with this gospel declaration Because when we talk about all the things we can be grateful for, there's so much that will come to mind. But in writing all these things down, do not forget the greatest thing to be grateful for, the the thing that nothing compares to, and that is this. The king of the universe loves you and has sought you out. Even though you have sinned and rebelled against him, he is for you. He sent his son to die for you. His son, Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life in every area of our lives where we fall short. Jesus is faithful. Everything he did was perfectly loving to the father and to neighbor and to the world. Jesus lived a perfect life. And yet he took that perfect life and offered it up as a sacrifice in our place. So we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but Jesus goes to the cross and he dies for our sins so that we can be forgiven, we can be washed clean, we can be made new, we can be reconciled to God so that we can have a relationship with the king of the universe. And then, of course, God raised Jesus from the grave and he's alive today. And the same power God's word tells us, the same power that conquered death can dwell in us through faith. When we trust in Christ, when we believe in the gospel, the good news that Christ has died for our sins and lives today by God's power to bring us into God's kingdom, then we can see the immeasurable riches of God's grace that we have in Christ. And we will remember that we have more to be grateful for than we could ever imagine. So let me ask you this. Do you see God's abounding grace in your life? If you do, then give thanks. Express your gratitude and your prayer in worship and end a life that is lived for the glory of God. How can we be a people of gratitude in a time of difficulty? Well, Paul has told us in these verses, when we rest in our new identity in Christ and out of that identity, we remember what God has done and we, we trust in what God is doing and we hope in what God will do, we will find that we can then say with the Apostle Paul, those beautiful, wonderful words, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you 
will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And for that, we will be forever grateful. Would you join me as we pray together? God, we thank you. We thank you now for your grace, the grace that you've shown us in your son. We thank you, God, for all you've done, all you're doing, and all you will do. And Lord, we want to respond with thankful hearts, with gratitude. We give you glory, Father. We give you all the credit. We give you all the praise. And Lord, if we're having hard time being thankful right now, we ask that you would give us the eyes to see how gracious and and kind you've been to us. We ask that you would help us to see all the gifts that you've given us. Lord, help us by your spirit, not to rejoice merely in the gifts, but to always look to the giver of the gifts and to rejoice in you, our God, our creator, our redeemer, our savior. Thank you, Father. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people everywhere said, amen, amen. I want to thank you, Southwinds, and all of our guests who have joined us. We're so glad you've been here today. We pray God's blessings on you, especially in this week that is ahead. And we'll look forward to studying God's word with you next Sunday. Have a great week.